Good morning, y'all. How's it going? Uh, I am Tyler Baker. I am the student pastor here at Grace Community Church, and it is a honor to be able to uh, teach you this morning and, and go through the Word of God this morning uh, with y'all. So let's before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me. God, give us humble hearts as we approach your word this morning. God, may your word that is alive and active, would it become alive and active in our hearts right now? God, may your Holy Spirit move in this place and in our hearts and through your word. God, we come to you as your people and as your children, expectant to hear from you. God, this morning we pray that you would change us. God, use me this morning. Speak through me, God. Uh, any words that are not yours, God, that they would fall on deaf ears. God, I pray that you would be the one that speaks this morning. God, you may you move in us right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you all a question. What did you all ever want to be when you grew up? Anything fun? When I, when I grew up, when I was little, I wanted to be a fireman when I grew up. I loved this idea of being, uh, you know, that hero that rushes in to, to save the, the kitty that's burning in the fire or, you know, the, the hero that comes in to save the day. I loved this idea of being a fireman. And, uh, and one day, we were over at a neighbor's house when I was really little, and it turns out he was a volunteer firefighter. So we go in by his garage, and I see this, this fireman's outfit, and I knew that I had to try it on. Uh, so you can throw up that picture. Look at that. Oh, isn't that adorable? What happened? <laughs> but you know, as soon as you put on that uniform, you're like, oh yeah, I'm part of this. I'm ready. I'm down. I'm going to become a firefighter. Well, honestly, I'm speaking to you this morning, so that didn't happen. But um, but we love this idea of, of rescue. It, that's something that never leaves us as human beings. We love the stories of rescue. It makes for a great movie. It makes for a great book, a great drama. It's not hard to find a story of rescue in most of our box office hits today. We love the story of the hero that lays it all on the line uh, to save the planet, defeat the bad guy, and win the day. We love the stories of rescue. Today we've been in, well, for the last couple of weeks we've been in a series called Back to School where we've been revisiting or maybe visiting for the first time some of those basic truths that really matter to us as Christians that are foundational to our faith. And today we're going to explore a topic that, well, Honestly, you always explore when you come to churches. That's the topic of the Bible. But today we're going to look at the Bible as a whole, as one big story. And this might seem like a somewhat simple task when you think about it. But when you sit down and start to go through what is the Bible, maybe it's really not that simple for us. So let's do a review. The Bible is split into two distinct parts. It has a total of 66 different books. 
written by 40 completely different authors from doctors, Pharisees, prophets, kings, tax collectors, fishermen, shepherds, and everybody else in between. It's written in the form of biographical and historical accounts. There's stories and poetry and songs. There's wisdom writing, prophecies, letters, personal letters and letters to churches. The Bible was originally written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. As of the year 2017, at least some portion of the Bible has been translated into 3,312 different languages ranging all over planet Earth. The Bible has been printed roughly 6 billion times, and there are quite a few good apps you can also get on your phone if you're not one of those people that does paper. Um, it is a book that wars have been raged over, and it is a book that has brought peace to countless nations and people. It has been read at the inauguration of presidents, the coronation of kings, the execution of death row inmates, and in the hum humble Sunday school classroom. It has shaped nations, politics, ethics, and laws. It has captured the hearts of mankind for 3,500 years. Some have dedicated their entire lives to the study of this book without ever reaching the end of that study. But yet it's so simple that a child can understand it. It's a book that you can read for your entire life and still find something new each and every day as long as you live. The Bible is God-breathed, alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, useful for shaping and correcting and speaking truth into the, our lives. It's a, it's a firm foundation of absolute truth upon we, which we can build an identity and which we can build our lives. It is a means by which an all-powerful, all-knowing, timeless, infinite, completely good, completely holy and righteous God has seen fit to reveal himself and to make himself known. That's this book, the Bible. But this morning, there's, there's one truth that I want to point out about the Bible that not only gives us a better understanding of the Bible as a whole, but has the ability to change our lives if we allow it. And that's this, that the truth of the Bible is that the Bible is a story of rescue. Has anybody seen, anybody seen any Marvel movies? Is anybody else a Marvel new movie nerd? If you're, an, if you're a, a bit of a Marvel movie nerd, then, then maybe you, from day one you kept up with these things called the phases. You had phase one and phase two and phase three. And in each of these different phases, we, we introduced new characters and a new part of this story. But they all connect together in, in one great meta-narrative, one great story that all came to an end a couple months ago in, in Avengers Endgame. But we, we love this idea of the phases. This is this part of the story. We introduce these characters, and here's another part of the story, and here's a new part of the story, and it all builds up to this one giant story. It's an explanation of here, here's how this works, and this is the phase of this, and this is the phase of this, and this is the phase of this. And in many ways, we can look at the Bible in much the same way. If we look at here are the different phases of the story of rescue of the Bible. So, 
Let's start out. Phase one, in the beginning. My Bible actually has the heading in it. Down on page one, it says, the beginning. Uh, the Bible actually has the first words of, in the beginning. So it seems like a good place to start. The story of the Bible is, in fact, the beginning. But we're going to skip to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Verse 31, it says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. I want to point out one part of this passage that says, In the image of God, he created them. This, this word of, of, of is, is, a big, is a big moment here. Made in the image of God. In much the same sense that I am a son of Amy and Desmond Baker, we are of God, created of God, of his image. Created as representatives, ambassadors, reflections of a creator God. This phrase, in the image of God, can be translated literally as the God-like ones, ones that are made like God, but not just put down and left to fend on their own, much like my parents didn't give birth to me, and they go say, all right, go live your life, have fun. That's not how that works. To be of God gives us a sense of being in fellowship with God. Much like I was born for relationship with my parents, we are born for relationship with God. The same was true of mankind on creation day. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. Now here we skip a little, a little forward in the story, but it gives us a sense of what is truly going on here in the story of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the, Lord call, but the Lord God called the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman put you here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? We see, we get a picture of what creation was originally supposed to be. Here in the story, God is walking in the garden, walking in the same garden as mankind. Man and woman walking with God in the garden. But they have fallen they have lost something. When God is walking in the garden, now they are afraid of God. Now they hide from God. Later on in the story, we see that God gives them clothes 
And then because of the fall, they are banished from the garden. All of this goes back to one fact that we are made to have relationship with God. Man, through the fall, has lost intimacy. Man has lost intimacy with his wife, but most importantly, intimacy with God. And these words are very haunting. It says, what is this you have done? So I want you to hear this. This is phase one, is that mankind was created for relationship with God. This was the goal from day one. But we get to phase two because obviously, you know, we we have a lot left of the Bible to go. And phase two, we call this a very very evident need. And to us, it, it sounds about right, doesn't it? That we would make it through about two chapters of the Bible before we screw it all up, right? Um... See, uh, it makes sense that a perfect world would only last for two chapters of the Bible. See, in our minds, it, it, I don't think we would blame God if this was the end of the story. That if God was like, all right, I've had enough. This is it. I've had, I'm done. You guys have screwed it up. But that's not the end of the story, right? We know this. God wasn't done. All right, so from, out, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the book of Malachi, we have phase 2. God raises up the nation of Israel. And if we get anything, God is not about leaving his people alone. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see a God that dwells in tents and in temples. He shows up in fire, in clouds, whispers, and angels. And God doesn't turn away, no matter how many times his people keep turning away from him. And we see this thing called the law, a system that is enacted in phase two. He sets up a means by which his people that he dwells with can now sacrifice for their sins, get temporary, get temporary atonement for the sins. And he dwells in the Ark of the Covenant behind a very thick curtain. God doesn't let go, but the relationship is far from perfect. Y'all, and if the Old Testament is good at pointing out anything, it's this. The fact that we are not good enough. God gave Israel a law and a standard, a standard that could not be met and will never be met. Guys, that's exactly the point. Mankind has a problem. Mankind has a very evident need of something better. Guys, there is a lot of religions out there in the world. In fact, I would say all of the religions out there in the world besides Christianity where you work and work and work and work and work to earn favor with God. But if the Old Testament is good at pointing out anything, that does not work. And it never will that we have a very evident need of something better. And listen to this. If, If we were not presented with the need of something better in the Old Testament, we would not be aware of our need for rescue coming in the New Testament. Do you get that? 
If we did not have the Old Testament pointing out the fact that we need something better, we would not be aware that we need that rescue that's coming in the New Testament. I'm going to skip down to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7, says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was that the law had said, you shall not covet. Skipping down to verse 13, he says, Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might be made utterly sinful. Without the law, without the Old Testament, we would not be aware of the sin problem. Because mankind has a problem. And that brings us to phase three. God with us. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Imagine this scene. God has been silent for 400 years. 400 years. No prophets, no angels, no signs, no nothing. Silence, complete silence from God for 400 years. Which leaves the burning question, has God left? Has God finally given up? And then onto the scene walks this guy named John the Baptist. And imagine you're hanging out with John the Baptist and he utters these words, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God steps down on the planet earth. The holy, eternal, everlasting God puts on skin and enters the world of man. Book of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. But when Christ came as the high priest, the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. First John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. Jesus has stepped on the planet earth to come do what man could not. Bring the perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that is eternal. A sacrifice that covers the blood of all mankind. Jesus has come to bring relationship with God back to mankind. And here it says, especially in in Hebrews, it says, Jesus is taking up the role of priest and the sacrifice, giving us the sacrifice that was good enough for all eternity, the sacrifice of himself. 
That's why it's so important that the curtain was torn. And through the work and the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ, man can once again have relationship with God. Phase four. Guys, the story is not done. Even though many of us within the American church live like it's done, but it's not. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Skipping down to verse 9, he says, You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you catch the language that Peter uses here? A royal priesthood, that priest that was the go-between between God and mankind, of Israel and God, that priesthood that was taken up by Jesus Christ to bring mankind in relationship with God again, that is now the priesthood that is ours. He brought himself, Jesus did the same thing. He brought himself as a sacrifice, and now we bring that sacrifice to other people. Now we carry the role of priest. We bring the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the world around us. We are the ones who make that sacrifice available to mankind. The point of phase four, the church, is that we bring God to mankind. Y'all, this is the coolest part, in my opinion. This is why I do what I do. This is why Mike does what he does, is that the rescue plan isn't done yet. That Jesus has left us as his witnesses. The church doesn't exist just to exist. That The church exists with a purpose, to be the hands and feet that bring the good news of rescue to planet Earth. That's us. We are an essential part of the rescue plan of God. That is so cool to me. Acts 1.8 says this. Jesus is talking to his followers right before he leaves for heaven. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Phase four is us. Nobody else. It's why the church exists. It's why Jesus put it in place in the first place, so that that which he had done could now be spread to all mankind. But guys, there's one more phase, phase five, the end. 
Remember the goal all the way back from day one? Mankind was made for a relationship with God. Phase five is where this happens. The book of John, chapter 14, verses one through four says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am, and you know the way to the place I am going. that you will be with me. Someday Jesus is coming back and he's going to enact a new heaven and a new earth and mankind will once again be in perfect relationship with God. Mankind in relationship with God. (coughs) Guys, if we, when we go through this story of rescue, or the progress of redemption, as we call it in the theological world. Here, here's, here's just a couple takeaways that I get when I go through this. And here's a big one. <coughs> Guys, that the Bible is not about you. It becomes very evident if you, sto- if you study the progress of redemption, if you study the rescue plan of God. The Bible is very much about God. The Bible is about an ever faithful God. A God who didn't give up on mankind no matter how many chances we have given him to turn away and give up on us. Guys, you can see that over and over and over again in the Bible. We mess up, we screw up, but God's not letting go. And God is forever faithful in wanting us back. The Bible is about an ever-present God. A God who was present in the garden, present in the desert, in the clouds, in the fires, the tabernacles, the temples. A God present on planet Earth in the person of Jesus. And a God who is present in the hearts of believers through the person of the Holy Spirit. And a God who will once again be perfectly present with mankind on a new earth. The God is very much present. He hasn't just set things off and left. He's been present the whole time. Still is present. And wants to be very present in your life still. Guys, if there's anything else... The Bible is about an ever-loving God, a God who from day one has given nothing but love to mankind. A God so loving when mankind could not rescue itself that he rescued us from sin and from brokenness and from failure. And when we couldn't measure up, he measured up for us. And he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to once again place us in relationship with God. A very loving God. Guys, sometimes we have a bad habit of approaching the Bible while making it all about me. 
What can I get? What can I learn? What are some promises I can take? What can I do? But guys, what if we approach the Bible making it all about him? Maybe just maybe our lives would look radically different if we approach the Bible with a mindset that is all about God, that is all about a rescue plan, that is all about a plan which God has chosen to reveal himself. And if we read it correctly, it's a rescue plan that we play a very vital part of. I love this quote by Rich Mullins. He says, What we make of the Bible will never be as great a thing as what the Bible will, if we let it, make of us. Guys, if we approach the Bible as what it's meant to be, a rescue plan, guys, if we read the Bible like it's meant to be, guys, that has the power to change our lives like crazy, radically change us, radically change our understanding of God and our understanding of why we're here on planet Earth. So guys, I hope that if there's nothing else you've gotten out of this morning, is that the Bible is all about God, and he is a God that is worth knowing, and he is a God that is worth letting other people know about. And it's a very cool book about a very cool God. And I hope that it changes your life. Let's pray. God, we don't even know how to say thank you for revealing yourself to us. For God, for putting in place such a grand rescue scheme, a grand rescue plan, God, that you saw fit, that even when we did not deserve it, that you chose to come and sacrifice yourself for us. God, that should blow our minds. God, I pray that it does. God, I pray that you would give us humble hearts, God, as we... Look at the Bible. God, let us see it for what it is. A proclamation of your love. But also a call for us to do something. A call for us to live differently. And a call for us to make a change. God, I pray that we would not read ourselves into the Bible, but we would read nothing but you in it. And God, that... We would let that change our lives. God, grow us and change us through your word. We are thankful for it. We are thankful that you have revealed yourself to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. Have a great week. See you next time.